This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we're going to be reviewing Strange New Worlds Episode 4, Memento Mori, which I just learned a few minutes ago means basically remembering that you're going to die, <laughs> which is nice. It, it happens to the best of us. It happens to all of us. Um, something to look forward to. Um, <laughs> let's start with some news, and as we tend to do, let's begin with the latest on Star Trek Picard Season 3, because uh, Terry's back with more information. <laughs> we should just have like a segment. Maybe we should even have a musical cue, like it's the it's the Terry Minute, because every, yeah. every week he's out there answering fan questions on Twitter and giving little hints, because he's so excited about Season 3, he just wants to talk about it. Sure. And so are we. So uh, one of the things that he had mentioned before is the season three will have a villain. He actually brought this up in an interview that a lot of people don't pay enough attention to. It was on trekmovie.com, of course, because he it was mostly about season two, but he dropped these little, he he, th- he would throw mentions of season three in the middle of this his interview about season two, one of which is he, he mentioned it as this memorable villain performance. Well, because he's always been more excited about season three anyway. Yeah, exactly. So someone asked him, what can you tell us about this character? And he confirmed or or revealed it's a new character. So unlike season two, which brought in, you know, some familiar characters, this is a brand new character. And it's an actor he's not worked with or or actress. You know, it's someone he hasn't worked with before. But he described this person as someone you've seen a million times before. And someone he's always wanted to work with. Yeah. Now, I, I don't, I think some people are like, oh, like that means they're from Star Trek. I, I think he means just in general, yeah. you know, he's yeah, a Hollywood yeah, yeah. guy. Could be anybody, you know. He's done a lot of things. He's yeah. interested in a lot of different areas. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, like, I don't know if it's an A-lister or, you know, I, it's probably just, you know, it's one of those, probably someone you are you look at and you're like, oh, yeah, I know that guy from a million things. He also, you know, because there's been some talk about the Next Generation cast appearing in different episodes and being spread out, someone asked him, you know, are we going to get a scene of everybody together? And he indicated without saying so, yes. He used an office meme. It was I know, a, I love that. He said it was yes. I mean, yes. Yeah. <laughs> office memes are the best. <laughs> there's one for every feeling, thought, or emotion. That's it for Terry. The only other little update was LeVar Burton on Thursday tweeted out a picture of himself on the Warner Brothers lot where he was doing ADR for season three. Earlier this month, we mentioned how Gates McFadden was doing the same thing, right? Yeah, she'd already fit. I guess they're just going one at a time, you know, so now it's LeVar's turn to do his ADR for the season. Fun. Now, we still don't know when season three is coming, but there's going to be a little bit of something this summer because IDW is going to release a comic book called Stargazer. And it's set between season two and three on the Stargazer. Yeah. I I was just guessing. I took a wild stab. (laughs) And Picard's going to be in command of the Stargazer. Yeah, I guess it's which I'm not. Yeah, because he put seven in command. Well, he didn't put her in command forever. He put her in command to handle that particular task. Yeah. I don't think he can also do that. It doesn't matter who he is. (laughs) 
the, the description says one uh, when trouble rears its head on a once peaceful pre-warp planet from his past, Picard enlists the help of an old friend. Oh, so this is going to be three issue comic book starting in August. It's co-written by uh, Kirsten Beyer, who is a co-creator on the show and and uh, supervising producer, consulting producer. I forget. Executive producer. Something. Co-executive producer. Who One of the many executive producers. <laughs> yeah. But obviously she's clued into what's happening on season three. You know, she was also a co-writer on a very good prequel comic. And she did the um, co-writer on the, com- uh, the audio drama we both watched. Yeah, which uh, we talked to her. Oh, so we have that out there as a podcast episode, if anyone wants to hear it. So far, the Picard tie-in stuff, There's a, there was a great Una McCormick book. Um, there's a great uh, book about Rios out there. They've been really good, and they've enhanced the experience. You don't, They're not required reading, but I think the Picard tie-ins have been some of the best, better than the Discovery stuff, I think, in general. I read the Una McCormack one because uh, I must have been interviewing her. And I thought it, it filled in a lot of stuff that I thought was so interesting that I really wanted to see it all on screen. So that's good. That's how you should feel when you're reading it. So while we're talking Next Generation cast, which we kind of were a little bit, um, or old friends, I guess we were talking about, you did an interview with Denise Crosby. The big question is, you know, is she involved in this reunion? And the answer is no. Sheila's not in it. In fact, during the interview, she's like, well, you know, if they ever ask, you know, if they want me to be there as Sheila, I'm all for it. And I'm like, well, you know, they've already already finished. And she goes, oh, well, that ship has sailed. Yeah, you had to break that news. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she knew they had shot season three, but she didn't know that was the end of the show. Right. She's always a good interview, though. I interviewed her years ago and she was just so delightful really really nice warm friendly thinks about star trek a lot has only positive feelings about it you know looking back the purpose of this interview was to talk about the 25th anniversary of trekkies which she co-produced and you know it was kind of a groundbreaking documentary back in the 90s it was one of the first kind of fan documentaries really it's, you know, it's it's somewhat controversial. I think some people feel like it makes fun of fans. And I talked to her about that. She's like, absolutely. It wasn't, you know, the whole that was kind of the opposite of the point, you know, because she thought people in the media would make fun of Star Trek fans. And she loved Star Trek fans and wanted to do a documentary about them. Um, and she did two of them, actually. It's interesting. Like, I haven't seen them only because that is the vibe that I got was that it was sort of, you know, like a mocking outsiders. Not that she's an outsider, but just sort of a slightly mocking look. But the thing that's interesting is I think fandom has changed a lot since then. And it would be interesting to do like a more, a a deeper dive and not just like the people, you know, it's, I felt like those on the surface to me as an outsider looked like they were just about people who dress up. And the dressing up is great and fun, but I think there's such a depth to the fandom now out there and people that are grouping together in organizations that do good and do charitable work and support each other. Like it's, you know, things have changed. She did admit that they did focus on some of the more colorful characters in Star Trek fandom, you know, because that made for sure good viewing, I guess. But uh, anyway, Trekkies is now on Blu-ray and video on demand in HD 
So you may want to check that out. Now, one of the things I, I it was it was difficult for me to broach this because I know it's kind of a touchy issue was to talk about leaving Next Generation. I said, you know, with this reunion coming out and do you ever look back and say, you know, maybe there was a way I could have. And I, you know, I said, you know, maybe you could have talked to Gene. And she like jumped in like I did talk to Gene. And he said, you're, you know, it's going to be about Data, Picard and Riker because that's what I did in the original series. And I, you know, I get why you would leave because it's, that's basically going to be the show. Right. You know, and, and, and rightfully she pointed out, she's like, look, in the 80s television, you, you know, being a secondary character on a TV show, and this is before it was kind of a big phenomenon, was just not like the cool thing to do. She wanted bigger and better things and she has no regrets. But then because I, I was going to ask her if it would have been different later because the show changed, but she brought up how Michael Pillar changed the show after Gene left. Uh, but she was long gone by that point. Right. But to give more story, like different characters got sh- sort of showcase episodes. Exactly. And when I said, well, would you have left then? And she got kind of like, I don't know. I'm reading in between the lines. She's basically saying, you know, who knows? You know, um, she still sticks with the no regrets. But I think it's since she brought it up, I think it's quite possible she might have stayed if Michael Pillar was show running the show in season one. Right. Which she had no way of knowing that was going to change. Right. She also talked about how a show like Hill Street Blues, which I was obsessed with, um, was a real game changer in terms of having a huge cast and stories for all of them. You know, they had main cast members, but they definitely, that was a really big cast. Which is the thing that Pillar kind of brought into the show. Yeah. Things had changed by the 80s and Michael Pillar brought that modern technique and style into the show. And I think to the benefit of the show, for sure. And then really on Deep Space Nine, where there were just all these other char- additional characters that were woven in and out of all the stories. Yeah. So check out the rest of that interview on the site. Quick reminder, the Orville Season 3 New Horizons will debut between this podcast and our next podcast. It'll be on June 2nd. My first interview with all the producers will go up probably on Friday, the day this podcast comes out. And then my cast interview will come out next week and we'll have a review on the site. Cool. All right. Well, before we review this week's episode of Strange New Worlds, we have just a little bit of almost catch up news because it was an interview done about last week's episode with Rebecca Romaine, who talked about the reveal of Una's big secret. I mean, one thing we knew because I'd already talked to her at the premiere was she said that this is going to actually play out not just through season one, but it'll have implications in season two as well. From what she's said, and what the showrunner said, this is kind of going to be her thing, the Illyrian thing. And it's going to be keep on coming back. So whenever they do an Una episode, it sounds like there's going to be another twist or another angle on the genetically modified and the Illyrians and maybe the fallout. I mean, something the writer of that episode, Akila Cooper, said, I thought was interesting. We said the reason she deleted her log is because... If it got back to Starfleet, she would get kicked out or be court-martialed, you know. And so I, I don't know if that was a hint of something to come. Because there that is the big question of... So it does sound like Pike, they never told Starfleet. So this is still a secret, I guess. Right. We don't even know how many people in the crew are aware. You know, can they make it through the whole show uh, without Starfleet ever finding out is the uh, the big question. Or, you know, 
will eventually maybe get that moment where they find out and it's a big deal. All right. So I think it's time for us to talk about Memento Mori. And this one's going to be interesting because you and I have some very different views on this episode, right? Like you, you really liked it, right? Yeah, I I loved it. I, I just found it thrilling and, and I loved the action and I loved the stakes. I loved everything that it was evoking. I'm a big fan of military thrillers and submarine movies. And obviously they were pun intended, you know, diving deep into that genre. I, I thought the lawn story was was good and there was a lot of nice little beats. Yes. I see issues with how they're treating canon here, but it's it's essentially the same thing as how they're you know bringing in to Pring. And so just like that, I'm like, well, I can either stop and, and just think arena, 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 how does this fit and just not even be able to watch the episode or move past that and just try to watch it without constantly trying to fit it in with arena all the time. But, you know, I understand that that's not how everyone does it, but that works for me and I really enjoyed it. So before we get into the details, tell me how completely wrong I am. Well, so it's here's the interesting thing. It's not that you're wrong. Well, Arena, we're going to have a little bit of a you're wrong, maybe conversation. But (laughs) the thing is, I don't think it was bad, but I was bad. People are going to hate me. I'm just so, this is, I am a strong minority. I thought it was really boring. And for me, I love that they're trying different genres and taking big swings. As they said, they picked a genre I could not be less interested in. I don't, I have no interest in submarine movies. I have no interest in military war movies, things about battles and how they're fought doesn't interest me in the least. So I spent a lot of this episode bored, like actually having to rewind because I'd stopped paying attention and had to come back to it. So overall, my biggest issue was there were lots of small moments that I liked and scenes that I liked. And you know, the usual amount of oh, this was kind of weird. Why did they do that? And then my big issue with arena, like I can deal with small, I'm not happy that, you know, that they that they know it's the Gorn because Spock is and Uhura are going to later be on the ship and not say, oh, yeah, I know all about the Gorn. They're vicious, horrible. They did terrible things. So that to me doesn't jive. And then the bigger issue for me is the moral of Arena, which Arena's, I'm here, I'm going to make people mad again. Um, not a great episode. <laughs> it's just not. And the thing that is interesting about Arena is the moral at the end. And that is the only thing that's interesting about it, but it's very interesting. I mean, people like that Kirk made gunpowder and whatever. Um, But the moral of arena to me is kind of, I hate to say it, spit on by this episode. Like they took the whole point of it and kind of threw it out the window, which is to put yourself in your enemy's shoes and maybe they're not the vicious, bad person that you think they are. And here they are absolutely horrible. In Strange New Worlds, they are villains, vicious cruel villains well first of all on uh, on the canon stuff it's obvious kirk didn't know who the gorn were but that's fine yeah you could kind of say okay well i can't buy that also that kirk wouldn't have, given the the information we even have now about them kirk would have known he yeah, would have been told about them a hundred percent 
basically, this is the thing that, you know, Akiva said they're using the, quote, body English. So, you know, the letter of the law, they never said it was first contact, but they certainly implied it was. So, yes, technically, they never said it. Spock and, well, Hura never saw them, really, because she was stuck in the, you know, but... Spock had like maybe 30 seconds to say something about the Gorn before Kirk was flitted off the bridge. And, you know, he didn't say anything. So to anybody like Kirk left, he didn't say anything to McCoy. Uh, You're right about Uhura, actually, because for this entire episode of Strange New Worlds, she was not she wasn't on the bridge for any of it. She didn't know what was going on. And I don't think she's had conversations with La'an about her background. I think they can get away with it, but the other thing is, you know, they want to use the Gorn. Akiva wants to use the Gorn because well, he's obsessed with the Gorn. That's the issue is like there, and you know, it is kind of the same issue with Chapel, which I'm, which I've been able to move past, which is just don't make it Chapel. If it's not going to be that thing that it was, then do something else. And I think this episode would have been the, the whole idea of Laan's traumatic background and this episode, which, of course, I still don't like the genre, would have been better for me if it was just a different alien. There's no reason on Earth for it to be the Gorn. But this is the thing of, of it's the barrier to entry. Like you either get past that or you can't enjoy, or you can't watch the episode. Well, that isn't why I didn't enjoy it. But but the other question I'm going to talk about your other issue, which may be the bigger issue is, yes, Laan is basically saying the Gorner evil, the Gorner bad, they're irredeemable, etc. But you have to remember that's Laan, who is kind of nuts in this episode, who's dealing with a trauma that's before she had her mind meld with Spock. And I'm going to talk about a submarine movie, but she's basically the Clark Gable character in Run Silent, Run Deep, where he's obsessed with this Japanese destroyer and he's a little bit unhinged. She's not a reliable witness to Starfleet, and it's actually setting up a little bit of a bookend, an arc for the Gorn themselves. It is Kirk who will finally realize that maybe the Gorn aren't so bad, maybe they are redeemable, maybe we can talk to them, and they're starting off on the opposite end here. But that doesn't mean that there isn't somewhere to go. And I don't think it negates Arena. I think they can live together. And you could either see that arc as possible or not. This is another barrier to entry. I see it as possible. And I'm fine with that. But this episode, you know, Kirk showing mercy was his solution to the Gorn. This episode really wasn't trying to, you know, people saying it's trying to recreate arena. It's not. It's no. It's it's got in a way. It's the opposite message. This episode isn't about mercy. It's about remembrance, obviously, um, and it's about duty and honor and all those things that military dramas are are all about. And for me, it was also about fighting and killing, which I, again, I'm not super interested in. But here, like for example, we talked last week about how they they didn't you know indulge in the red shirt trope when there was low hanging you know long haired emo red shirt just waiting begging to be killed and they didn't do it last week right this week they they killed off seven crew members but they weren't callous about it 
That was one of the things I really did like. And I was thinking about our discussion last week because they set that they set it up this way on purpose. And I liked that, that people didn't die before. And when people die, there's no like ha, 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 little cute, you know, thing at the end that says that everything's okay. And they even, they showed what a, they made it. They started by making it an episode about this, you know, remembrance. And then I thought the scene with Kyle and the other crew member was really powerful in that way because we saw two crew members each willing to make a sacrifice for the other and then one makes the final sacrifice and you see the impact of that on Kyle and I thought well that's I like taking I like getting rid of the red shirt trope and making it a big deal when something like that happens and that was a really nice way to do it and of course Kyle wears red and the guy who sacrificed who, right. We don't we don't know the relationship. Maybe they were best friends. Maybe it was his boyfriend. Who know? But he was. In or a maybe blue... they didn't know each other at all, which is also beautiful. Right. But he was in a blue shirt and and he died. And but Kyle felt the pain and Pike felt the pain. And yes, we, we saw that over and over in the episode of Pike feeling the pain. And when he thought that Uhura and Hemmer were also dead briefly and the relief that the just. The, Anson Mount did so much by not saying anything in this episode. So much of the tension played out on his face without dialogue. This is his best episode so far, I feel. And you really felt that. And and he's talked about how this is his favorite episode of the season, I think. I think there's a great Pike episode. You know, he was smart. He was... But the, the thing I loved about Pike is, yes, you know, the, the Star Trek message wasn't about mercy but you know his belief in his crew and in the ship and how the ship's going to hold together and and he held that crew and ship together you know as good as any starfleet captain we've ever seen in any star trek episode i feel by sheer force of personality and some wherewithal but yes no i thought i mean he had some great lines i like that he said belief can be the difference between victory and defeat get a crew to believe in miracles, they might just give you one and has to remind La'an, like you can't have your crazy, pessimistic, doom filled attitude because that is going to hurt us. Especially because she was acting first officer because this was a La'an episode. It does seem like they need to relegate Rebecca, number one, off to the side when they want to give a little focus to Lon. It's I'm a little disappointed that she got one episode where we really got to see her in action, and otherwise she's been quite, you know, quite sidelined. I mean, maybe they're still working this out because one of the issues here, God, we're going all over the place, is Spock. And <laughs> when do we is, not go all over the place, by the way? Is Spock is this show is really Pike and Spock? Let's face it. Um, or Spock and Pike. Or what did you call them accidentally once? Spock, oh, Spike. Pock and Spike. Yeah. <laughs> so Spock is not the first officer, but he kind of is. You know what I mean? Like he's he is the second most important person on that ship. And he gets a lot of dialogue. He always has something to do. And it, it, it puts them in a situation where they're kind of not sure what to do with Rebecca because Spock is so important to the show. And there was even a weird thing where like, I think the writers forget that Spock is just a Lieutenant because um, so I'm jumping forward to when they were on the shuttle together with Lan, right. And 
you know, they do the mind meld, which I thought was a great scene. And then they come out of it and Lon's like, I know, um, comes up with this idea. And then she goes, you know, I'm, I'm surprised you went along with this and agree, agreed. She used the word agreed to this. And I'm like, Lon, you're, it doesn't matter if he agrees to it. He has to do what you say because you're the first officer, you outrank him and it doesn't matter what he thinks, but the show, like it, it, because Spock is Spock, it matters that he agrees because he's kind of the first officer in all of our minds and in all of our hearts. You know what I mean? Well, and I would just want him to agree with me on things anyway. <laughs> of course. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying Ethan Peck's Spock. I think he's doing I'm liking him so much better than I did on Discovery. And I think he's doing a great job. And I think they're giving him lots of good stuff. The writer's. And he are just this perfect team doing great Spock. I didn't like, it wasn't a Spock thing. So Spock had kind of his normal, you know, techno babbly dialogue. And then Lon says, can't you speak in plain English? Now, what they're doing here is they're setting up a little bit of an arc for her. Because again, she's kind of unhinged. So later she's calmer and they have a moment together. But I thought it was just awkward and just kind of bad she wasn't the right person to say that it, first of all it doesn't make sense to tell a science officer not to talk in scientific terms and a fellow officer it used to make sense when someone like when he would say something technical and mccoy who's a medical doctor would be like what the hell are you talking about that's a little different but that felt so out of place and inappropriate and unprofessional especially in the situation they were in like it would have been fine in a no stakes episode for Artegas to say something like that if he was talking about something innocuous and he was using, but it was kind of obvious what he was talking about to anyone, especially a trained professional. Right. Um, like, so, yeah, if you don't know what he's talking about, what are you doing in that job? Yeah. So that was, <laughs> that was dumb and bad. And because they were trying to set up the starting point where he later says in plain English, and then they eventually have their moment together. I know, but you can't, I mean, sometimes the trying to shoehorn things in to get to some other place. Like sometimes you have to realize, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't work and it's not worth it. And it doesn't, and it does your characters a disservice, which I felt it did with her. Right. Still, I think it was a generally a good episode for Lon. That was a misstep. I mean, getting back to the, you know, cause we've talked about how the show has these too casual, I guess, you know, the, the way the crew talks to each other. And in this episode, they pretty much didn't do that with the exception of Ortegas, but there was like one moment. I'm not sure if it was scripted where Ortegas says something, one of her quips and Pike glowers at her. I mean, he's indulged in this witty banter on the bridge before, but he's like, no, th- you know, this is not the time for that kind of stuff. Do you remember that? It was like early. No, I didn't. I didn't really catch him glowering at her. But also, like I said, I kept getting bored and losing. It lost my attention a lot of times, even though I watched it a bunch of times. So it's a tricky one for me. It's very hard for me this kind of thing because I'm just not that invested in how things are fought and how battles are fought, which is what most of it was. I was quite invested in uh, Uhura and Hammer. Yeah, yeah, we knew this was coming. That yeah, I, it was. I think his first smile, and uh, yeah, he's he's not such a bad guy after all. If you just uh, if you show a little interest in engineering, he doesn't you know. suffer fools gladly, right? Um, 
And I and I liked that she was able to ask him, you know, my big question for everybody that I've been interested in from the get go is what, you know, what made you join Starfleet? And I really enjoyed their discussion about it. You know, it went both ways in that because Uhura is still on her journey and she's so early on it, you know, because she's a cadet, she's on this rotation where she is in different departments, which is um, so cool, by the way. Yeah, and that's how she ended up in the landing party in episode two. So it's a kind of a great way to move her around and show and introduce other characters. And um, but she's like when he he knows who he is, hundred percent. He's very confident in who he he is. And at the end, she's like, I don't really know who I am. You know, I'm still yeah. learning that, and which is good because she's a she's a cadet. So that yep. make, that makes sense. No, I like both of them, and I really enjoyed their scenes together. I like when, you know, it made sense. He's wounded. He has to backseat drive her through whatever she's doing. And I just, uh, that I even though it was a little bit reminiscent of, remember Jordy and Dr. Crusher when they had to, you know, vent the, the cargo bay that they were in and hold on tight and all yeah. of that. But this was cool. They added a nice other element, which was <laughs> EV suits, thank you, and a tether. You kind of knew... that AP unit was kind of like Chekhov's AP unit in the term of Chekhov's gun of early on in the episode, you knew this thing was going to say not Chekhov, like Pavel Chekhov. Right. (laughs) I I had assumed they were going to use it to blow up the big Gorn ship, but I knew it was going to be a thing. I knew as soon as he said, Oh yeah, this thing's going to blow and it's going to destroy the ship. I'm like, well, (laughs) it's going to destroy a ship. Um, So, uh, but it still played out well, because I, I liked how, I mean, the show is so good at getting the B and the C stories, delivering character growth, but just perfectly tied into the action of the episode itself. Yep, I would agree with that for sure. The same with the stuff in Sick Bay, which is great, because Sick Bay, getting back to what they're trying to evoke, um, you know, old, uh, old style naval movies, Sick Bay is basically turned into a 20th century sick bay they've got sutures and plasma and they're sewing people up and they're doing triage i wanted them to be a little more horrified by that like i loved whenever mccoy saw old-fashioned medical stuff he was always really horrified (laughs) (laughs) and i i thought it would have been nice to have a little more you know icky a little more of an icky reaction by somebody like it would have been cool you know they can't be the only two medical personnel on the ship well, we see other ones around wearing um, the same cat suit that uh, the chapel chap- has. That chapel has, but they never say anything. I think it would have been nice if, if you know, it would have been a great moment if someone had been like horrified and then been told, like, you know what, this is medical. This is what we're doing, and we have to do it, and you have to know how to do this too. Like, there could have been a a, a little more intensity in those scenes than there was. I, I agree. It was a way to get Una off the bridge essentially and to give them something to do and to give Una a little bit of a hero moment where she gives up her the, the last bag of plasma although you know she is genetically modified so yeah she's got know. a she's got a little advantage but yeah I thought you know it was a, a good choice to give sick base something to do and it up the stakes but they could have made it more interesting again poor bored Lori watching this episode <laughs> I get that, you know, that, you know, in a week we're going to be reviewing the next episode, which we talked about before, which is a more comedy or rom-com episode. 
that may or may not be your bag as well, but they are mixing things up and, you know, I'll come out and say, I'm a lot more into military thrillers than I am into romantic comedies, you know, and. Right. And like it, let's say if they did a musical episode, I would be ecstatic and lots of people would be very pissed. Yeah. I might even, <laughs> if I didn't have to do it for the side, I'd probably skip it, you know, cause I'm not a big fan of musicals and that. Right, and it, I'd be dancing around and clapping and learning the lyrics. We, you know, <laughs> We everyone talked about how oh it's great the show's going to be episodic and it's going to be changing things up and Planet of the Week but this is maybe the downside is there's going to be some genres that they take these big swings on and Frakes has talked about how they're encouraging I think is a lot of this episode and the way it feels is the director just kind of really indulged himself in all of the tropes of submarine movies like like you know, the sweating crew and, 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 and the, the sonar pinging, all of it, you know, and you either, you know, that either works for you because you love films like Crimson Tide and Das Boot and, you know, all the rest of it, or it doesn't. And if it doesn't work for you, then I get that, you know. And it doesn't mean I wish they hadn't done, like, that's again, I can recognize that something's not right for me. I've seen a lot of the, you know, people are loving the episode. It's just, it's not my thing, but there, look, everybody's excited about Top Gun and Tom Cruise. I hate Tom Cruise movies and I don't see any of them. So everybody's different and I'm, I don't want them to not try things and not take big swings, but this one simply didn't work for me. And the canon issue the, is too big for is a big one for me. And a lot of times there have been small ones, but this one's too big for me. But I could say as someone who does like this subgenre, th- that this is a good example of it. Like they, cause, cause you can take the big swing. You could shoot for that. Um, you know, we saw this in Picard where they, you know, they did that episode where they tried to do kind of the heisty thing in season one and it was bad Season two, it was better, but then they kind of split it over two episodes when they should have just done it as one. So I think this it's good that they tried and they did a good job. And it's you know it's not just the submarine movies. We've every Star Trek series has done this kind of thing. Obviously, Balance of Terror, but you know we've well, seen. No, no, no! I got to stop you there because to me, I love Balance of Terror. But to me, what makes Balance of Terror interesting is that Romulan commander and that we see what he's doing, what he's going through, what he's thinking, how he's guessing. And it's about these two human beings who are actually kind of similar to each other and having to face off against each other. And at the end, that telling line about how they could have been friends, I could have called you friend. So this to me was completely missing that. That what to me is good about Balance of Terror was not in this episode. Fair enough, but this was again the, the they weren't going for that. I mean that was right. a that was an homage to the enemy below another great submarine movie that I right and I haven't seen. I think I mean I think I saw Dust Boot in German class, but <laughs> I haven't seen any of the other ones that you've mentioned because it's just not my genre. Yeah, there's other like the TNG episode Disaster, or the DS9 episode Starship Down, and a little bit of Year of Hell. There's been others of this subgenre uh, within Star I Trek. Put any of those in the same category? It's so funny. 
Like I just wouldn't because they, again, it was, it's to me, it was the, the whole faceless, cruel enemy part is ruined it for me. Well, because in this case, they're, they're mixing genres here where the, essentially the Gorn are monsters, you know, they are ir- irredeemable monsters. So it is kind mm-hmm. of like a monster movie in that case, which makes they're an unstoppable which, force. Right. Which to me is kind of boring. Oh, but <laughs> I mean, with the Gorn were were the adversaries. They were smart. They were cunning. They, you know, and they're getting back to Arena. You know, they lured them just like they lured an Arena. So they were at least picking up on elements of that as well. Every time that they thought that they succeeded, the Gorn had another trick up their sleeve. So it wasn't the solutions weren't easy. Um, they were using science. They were using courage. Um, and you know, it really took everything they've got and they still didn't beat them. You know, all they did was get away. I mean, they did destroy a few ships along the way, but they never got the big one. Um, they, they just basically escaped and the ship was severely damaged. So I, you know, I loved it. I'm sorry. What can I say? I thought it was great. Don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. And, and I, I'm happy that you, I don't want people to not like it. So, <laughs> um, I didn't like it, but, but I'm happy, but I am happy to say it isn't because I thought it was poorly done. It's, it just didn't, it's something I personally don't enjoy. And that's going to happen sometimes. I get it. You know, it's happened on all the shows. There's certainly moments in other episodes where I, you know, in other series where I don't love it. And the truth is when I rewatched arena for this one, I was like, this is a really bad episode in multiple ways. And also was boring. Like it had some boring sections where they're just running around. And it was of course cheesy. And uh, there was some like bad dialogue and all kinds of stuff. So what can I say? And I, I know you're not the only person, you know, that we've talked to some other people are the same and, and yet I've talked to other people who loved it. It's a, it's, it's almost like we're seeing different episodes and yet we all saw the same episode and you and I agree so often that I just find it fascinating. And, but it's so telling that, you know, all these movies I've mentioned and I could throw out a five more submarine movies if you want, but I won't, um, I love them and you don't. And it therefore it makes sense that we disagree in this one case. Right. And so where you're seeing these great moments where they do like callbacks to other movies and to tropes, all of that is lost on me because I haven't seen any of those movies. Yeah. So I don't get that. And yet I still was able to see like a lot of little moments or lines or things that I liked in there. That's good. So there is that. Um, I did think it was, you know, when um, when La'an is getting the story from the little girl, well, she wasn't that little, but when she's explaining that she heard the sounds of the aliens and she makes these sounds, these clicky sounds, do you know what they reminded me of? Uh, did it remind you of a certain Next Generation episode? It probably will once you mention it. Schisms. I love that episode. Oh, yeah. The alien abduction episode with that creepy holodeck scene that I love. Um <laughs> It's just I recently rewatched it, but they make that same sound, and I was wondering if they were trying to eventually like make. I mean, they they lived in another like dimension almost in schisms, right? I forget what the exact language was, but it was like a different kind of space, and they had to create a pocket where they could pull in the crew members and then return them. 
again, they were trying to make the Gorn into something very strange, very otherworldly, very alien. And it was an interesting choice that they never showed the Gorn. I think the most we got was a shadow you know, it, during her flashback um, or the mind meld. But well, I feel like they think that's their way around canon. And I don't think that has anything. To, I don't think seeing the Gorn has anything to do with it. I think I do think they broke it like they just cast it aside. I mean, I, I thought that at first, but I think it's more. But they're how go- could you have doing- Spock on the bridge not saying anything? He had a huge Talked battle with this. the Gorn. There's no explanation. There's no explanation for why Spock would not say anything about his history to anyone on the bridge. It doesn't, you know, it just doesn't work. You have to, you have to hand wave it and say, okay, I'm going to ignore it. You have to. I'm not ignoring it, but I'm not, you know, I'm, I guess I'm just not that bothered by it. But how, but you have to admit that it doesn't make sense. You can say, no, I don't care. I, no, I, I, I can come up, you know, with some headcanon for why he didn't. It's okay. I'm all right with it. I'm I want to hear your headcanon for why he didn't say anything. <laughs> because it just, you know, he, there was no point. There was no logic to it because it wouldn't have helped the situation at that moment. Oh, and, Lord. I thought it would have been extremely important information. I would have considered it vital information. Well, at first he didn't know that Kirk was about to be, it should, it would have been vital for him to talk to Kirk about it, but Kirk was taken off the bridge of the ship. Um, after that, he was pretty much helpless in the rest of the episode. Well, he had a crew full of people he still could have told because I, yeah, it's, it's not working for me, dude. <laughs> Getting back to the arc of the Gorn, in this case, I feel like they were trying to do is they were they were actually doing more monster movie stuff with the Gorn, a lot like Jaws, actually, where they never showed you the shark early in the movie, which makes me feel like we're going to see the Gorn again because they're building up to it. Because obviously, obviously, they've got the money to do it. Right. And people were probably like, because let's face it, you know, the we all laugh at it, but the original <laughs> Gorn was just, it was, it was, I mean, I, maybe it was, I, I mean, who knows what it looked like to someone. Cause I can't, I wasn't there in 1966 to see it and go, Oh, that looks good. But I think even then people were like, Oh my God, I can see the zipper. I mean, it's just, no, and also he moved so slowly that it was like, how is this a threat? Right. <laughs> And they did a just outrun him. He'll get tired and fall down. <laughs> yeah, it's just terrible. But the Gorn have yet become iconic. They were on lower decks. They had a wedding that was hilarious. <laughs> um, they were on Enterprise. <laughs> they did a pretty good job with the CGI of that time to create a Gorn. But we've seen some, um, you know, amazing stuff. Uh, you know, on the current Star Wars shows, you know what they could do with makeup and some of the makeup stuff they're doing on this show and CGI is so amazing that. I think people were kind of excited, like, okay, well, if you're going to do the Gorn, at least we get to see what, you know, this kind of money delivers. And we never saw one, but I I think it's only because they want to build up to it. I think the Gorn may be a recurring thing. So I think they're going to be back. Ugh, I'm going to be very sad every time they come back. Because Lon at the end was like, what happens next time? And now her next time could mean Arena, but I think the next time is going to be in the season finale. I just wish they'd not called them Gorn. Yeah, I mean, it would have been interesting if they created a new species or they went with the Klingons or the Kazinti or 
Maybe no, I just, maybe again, pick I, a TNG villain that no, I been. say be be what you're supposed to be. Strange new worlds, come up with new stuff. It's great. There's there's more than enough fan service and throwbacks and moments and things like that. But give me something new and fun, and and it gives the writers it'll give them so much more freedom. They won't be trapped in this whole thing of having to reconcile or or even taking fans like out of the episode where we have where we think about these things like just give me something new and exciting because they're clearly capable of it you know i don't entirely disagree but i'm just i i can't watch the show and constantly be you know running everything i watch through the filter of canon and through how does this fit with this and that and you know yes i want strange new worlds i want new stuff they are delivering that but sometimes they're going to bring back older elements and either skip those episodes or we find a way to watch them and enjoy them as long as they aren't being, you know, the question is what's too much? What is too big of a canon violation? No, so everybody's far, line is a little different, but I would, you know, and so like mine, I look at, let's just use an example from a previous episode, which is Kirk's brother, right? So I can actually chill on the, it doesn't quite make sense that he's on the ship, okay, or that he knows Spock. All right, I can sort of move past that. While I didn't like that they called him Sam because it was so specifically said on the original series that only Jim calls him that and no one else does. So I wouldn't have called him Sam, but I thought the mustache jokes were funny and like a little chef's kiss. So <laughs> so it's it's a fine line and it's different for fans each each of us it's different for each of us which is why i also think if you it's better to avoid most of those and do it more carefully and more thoughtfully i also think there's an element of this within fandom of like are you you know is tos your favorite show or you know are you really more of a tng person and you might have watched tos you know years later that kind of thing but again we've talked you know so much about arena in this episode i really don't feel like it's that important but i you know you do yeah i i, I and... mean to me they made it important by making it gorn they made that choice i didn't they did it okay so that's the difference but you know my but it certainly was not my biggest issue with the episode and my biggest issue with the episode is that it didn't match my taste and not that it did a bad job i mean i i get both arguments and you know, which is why we are where we are now, which is we going around I, 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 and I, <laughs> I, I don't like disagreeing, even though maybe it makes for good drama for people to disagree. Um, that's what this show's got for us. It's a variety pack of stuff, which means yeah. inevitably it was going to give us something where we didn't we didn't agree. No, like the big um, on Discovery, the big turbo lift kiss. Remember with Book and Michael, which I loved and you oh, did yeah. not like. I mean, that's going to happen and that's fun. And in a way, what I like is being able to have these discussions with you and with other people where we disagree and we're able to talk about it in a good, fun way, which is sorely lacking in this world on so many <laughs> ways that it's good to be able to have a discussion. I'm listening to you and I'm understanding why you appreciated it and why you liked it. And I'm glad that you did, even though I didn't, which you understand. There's there's something which I think you probably can agree with here, which is that there was a, a lot of artistry here. There was good visual effects. I think the music fit the genre very well. Yeah. So it shows that Naomi really is is quite good at 
creating a variety of music. It was very different than previous episodes, but it fit well here. And also they, they were pretty good about real science, which has been a good thing about the show that they're not always perfect, but at least they're name checking a lot of things that, you know, actually exist, you know, like the, and the black hole looked amazing. Um, all of that stuff looked just yeah. Fantastic. Everything always looks great, and all the performances are excellent. Is there anyone that stands out to you from this episode? I I mean I loved the tiny little Ortega's moments. I thought she had a couple of really good strong moments that I enjoyed. That's interesting because like she's almost the smallest part of this episode. She's basically following orders, but she still has a, a personality. It's still coming through. She isn't just a crew person saying aye aye captain she's got something to say you know the line i liked of hers might be the one where he gave her the look was it when she said space really wants us dead <laughs> no it was, it was different it was early that oh. one where he's like oh you know maybe we should let it he actually kind of went oh, okay with that one yeah there was one earlier on i forget where i think it was more yeah like she was being very pessimistic and flippant and you know he ah. he wasn't into that and she did <laughs> say it was the gave him the name the pike maneuver so. oh yeah she did do that which i liked um and honestly hammer i just want more hammer i'm ready i want a big hammer story yeah i hope i hope he gets a full-on a story arc um soon enough uh, yeah i'm fascinated i just want to know more i want to see him interact with more people and do more things and tell us more about why he's on the ship maybe we'll meet some more Andorians or some more Anar or, you know, the, we get a little more, you know, even though we visited with them before, I think this show can expand the canon in that way. Cause there's still, you know, plenty of room for more stuff about Andorians, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, as much as enterprise isn't my favorite show, I loved a lot of the Andorian stuff that they did. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the vast majority of stuff we know about Andorians is from Enterprise. They were barely, you know, showed up. You know, they were in a couple episodes of yeah, the original series. And yep. then they would periodically, an Andorian would show up in the background, and that was that. But much, but on Enterprise, they got very interesting. So uh, I'm ready for more Andorian stuff and A&R stuff. Bring it on. The biggest question I've got for this episode is, did they go back for the dog? Aw, poor dog. <laughs> I, I'm just going to, we have to believe that they beamed the dog up when they beamed up the rest of the crew. They just beamed up all the life forms, including the so dog. So where's the dog now? Who's got uh, the dog? I don't know. Well, we, you know, they had to drop the colonists off somewhere. So they gave it to the little girl. Well, they gave it back to the colonists. <laughs> all right, fair enough. <laughs> well, unless the owner of the dog was eaten by the Gorn, you know, so. Right. Or put in is, a egg sack or some kind of terrible thing <laughs> gross <laughs> okay so i think we've pretty much covered this episode unless you want to bring up arena again no should we argue about spock a little more sure let's do it <laughs> all um, right we're all friends here let's move on <laughs> but one little thing is they, they with the pins um it was we haven't talked about this but the, the remembrance pins I, I think was a nice touch it tied into the themes of the episode pike was wearing a uss discovery pin which is base which was kind of a little lie 
right? Because it's... Right. Well, because everyone's <laughs> pretending that it was destroyed. But what did you think of Michael Burnham showing up briefly in Spock's vision? Or, or the mind meld where La'an kind of... Right. She says, you have a sister and whatever. I wonder what? if she'll ask him about more about that. Now, it was a little weird where... Like, was she implying that there's no record of Michael Burnham existing? Because the, the USS Discovery and Michael Burnham serving on board, that those records exist. They just altered the records so that it would be destroyed, right? So it, it should be no secret that he has a sister, even though he doesn't talk about her a lot. Yep. He was wearing a pin for the USS Congo. Why? Who knows? Um, or <laughs> Ortegas was the USS Palenque, Babenga was the US Cuyahoga. I or, just saw all those because I went to the Strange New Worlds exhibit at the Paley Center. They had them all on display. They're cool. I wonder if we'll be getting back to this. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting idea. And again, worked with the idea that we're not doing redshirt trope, that it's a big deal when these things happen. And it's another, you know, it's also kind of part of one of the military things of this. I mean, there's a ton of little military things that you may pick up on a lot of jargon. And these <laughs> well, were, I was going to say that you may pick up on, but not me. <laughs> <laughs> and these were reminiscent of challenge coins, which is a common thing in the military, even though those are not given out for things that we lost, but they're these kind of collectible things with the names of ships on them that when you visit like an aircraft carrier, you may get a challenge coin as a little present. If you're a dignitary or whatever. Right. I'm not a dignitary and I don't <laughs> visit them. <laughs> okay. So let's move on to talk about our bits of the week. Mine is in celebration of someone near and dear to your heart. And that is Catherine Janeway. It was her fictional birthday last <laughs> week. I know. Uh, I saw Kate Mulgrew <laughs> wishing her fictional character a happy birthday. <laughs> so a few members of her crew actually put together this video which was done by the the bloomington janeway statue you know there's a statue of janeway in bloomington indiana and the people who put that together got tim russ and robbie mcneil and garrett wong and dr aaron mcdonald to record birthday wishes and 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 russ did it in character and, nice. And then this was actually shown during this ceremony that was held at a school, which I guess is the school that Janeway is supposed to go to in the future. And there was a little girl there who represented Janeway and she gave a speech as Janeway. Was it me? Oh. No. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and and uh, because people from Jerry Taylor's family went to this school and they were also inducted into the Hall of Fame. So they were at the event. So there was a big Bloomington Janeway birthday celebration. I love it. As there should be. So what's your thing? Mine is uh, in honor of the fact that a lot of us have gone to see Star Trek The Motion Picture Director's Edition in theaters this week, which I did last night uh with brian um so not maybe not everybody knows this you know the the younger set um but there were the original teaser trailer for the first star trek the motion picture was narrated by orson wells by the great master orson wells and it's a very cheesy looking trailer that doesn't even 
mention the plot of the movie. <laughs> it's got a lot of very silly animated effects and just kind of names all the characters. And then um, I found there's also a fun little, so I want people to look at the trailer because it's fun and dramatic and silly and dated in its fun way. And also um, someone had written a piece that was based on actually an Inglorious Trexperts episode um, where they found, where they got a couple of fun details about the actual recording session um, when he was doing it and said that he was like playing around with everybody's names and saying Gene Rottenberry. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that he was made $25,000 for narrating it. And then he did uh, some foreign language versions of it too. But just a fun little piece of history, I think. It's such a, a weird thing that Orson Welles <laughs> is attached to Star Trek. I know. <laughs> uh, was great. this before he was doing those wine commercials? Those were uh, those were later, right? It may have been around the same <laughs> time. I mean, he was doing. He also like had a place. It was like somewhere north of Toronto for a while. And my aunt, who was an artist, went up and met him, worked with him for a while back in the day. So I remember hearing stories when I was a kid from her. It's funny. So that's it for another episode of All Access Star Trek. We'll be back next week to review and discuss a totally different episode called Spock Amok. It's wacky. It's zany. It is. <laughs> it's a whole different thing. Oh boy. That's going to just open up another can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel it coming. It's coming. Get ready. Get ready, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so see you next week. Catch you later. <laughs> <laughs>